Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the fire. Welcome to the fire, boys. My name is Parker McDonald. And I'm Walter Lee, and we'll be your hosts on this episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. If you're a new hunter trying to learn the basics, or you're a veteran woodsman just trying to get through your workday, there's always a place at our campfire for you. Speaking of the fire, we would love it if you guys would join our growing Patreon community and be a part of the best and only digital deer camp south of Mason-Dixon Line. Come on. If you'd like to learn more, click on the link in the show notes. But for now, Walt, welcome welcome to the fire. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Collective podcast hunting podcast i should say every time i do that i literally want to say the chasing tales outdoor podcast but it is what it is we are back uh gentlemen we are on the brink of the best deer season all of us are going to have i can just feel it right now and so as we record this on august 31st we have got one team member in north dakota one team member running around his house like a chicken with his head cut off, panicked that he's going to forget something right before he leaves for Kentucky. I think Austin uh, Austin and Skinny leaving for Kentucky put Matt into a tailspin. He sent me a text said, I can't, man, stressing about packing for tomorrow right now. So <laughs> he's in a bind right now. So you are down to a three-men trifecta here. Obviously, my name is Walt. His name is Brett, and we are joined by repeat offender, split shot, a.k.a. Michael Wallace. Gentlemen. How are we feeling this close to deer season? Relaxed. I am probably the most unprepared that I've ever been in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I could I could I could definitely see how you'd feel that way. I feel um I don't necessarily feel like I'm unprepared so much as I always feel the same way every year where I feel like I could have done more over the summer. 
but I prioritize the things that I had to prioritize to be where I am right now. And in the middle of the season, I'll do the majority of my scouting. It's like everybody has their little pattern. Brett does all his scouting postseason. He's got his thing down. Uh, I think Parker and I tend to be a little more like the summertime is for family and getting things done and less for scouting, you know? Um, and I think that's the beauty of, of hunting is you can make it what you want to make it. Right now, my son must vehemently disagree because he just shouted no. I don't know if you guys could hear that, but he's supposed to be going to bed. And he just said no. Uh, but all the same, we sit a week away from the Georgia opener, 24 hours away from the Kentucky opener. Um, and today, today's topic is going to be about buck movement. Uh, this is something, this is a Patreon centric topic. And what I mean by that is the origin of this podcast came from Patreon. You guys were talking about this. Split Shot, as always, has a tremendous insight and wisdom and a, just kind of a unique perspective. And he articulates himself in a way that uh, really triggers some thought. And so uh, the three of us today are going to talk about when we see the most buck movement. And uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to kick it off right here. Split Shot, I'm going to send this to you in Florida specifically. What is your thought on buck movement? What influences it? What are you keying in on? So I, I use this strategy everywhere, um, but I'm looking when I go in to find a spot, I'm looking for funnels, usually during like pre-rut, rut time. And then I want to find a high concentration of sign and then like a bedding area um, that I can get on the side of. And if I can put all that together, then that's the spot that I want to spend my time at. And then I'm going to go in there and hunt the middle of the, I'm going to hunt probably all day. But uh, if I feel really good about the spot and I'm seeing deer, I'm seeing does and stuff like that, then I'm going to hang in there. Um, If I'm not seeing anything, then I'm going to go to midday and I'm going to go look for another spot. But uh, (laughs) like that midday movement, I don't want to hang up on any kind of spot and stay somewhere where I'm not seeing deer though. How do you, how does that fall into the logic of in the state of Florida? You need to give an area a couple hunts or do you feel differently in that regard? And that, um, you know, I I feel like in certain places you need to hunt an area two or three times in a row before like specifically like days in a row or hunts in a row, just because their range can be so big. Does that factor into your decision-making at all? I would agree with that. You, you have to just kind of take into account the, what, what's the weather? Are there any weather factors that might be, um, affecting your hunt so i know one one place in particular i can think of we we had a hunt there it was during the rut like a good time and uh there was a front that came in it was like a two-day front and it just killed the deer movement for whatever reason they just didn't move but as soon as that front had blown over then deer were just moving everywhere and it so you have to take in that into account Whenever you're thinking about why do I need to do I need to sit this out a little longer? Um, as far as like knowing how long you need to spend time on on a place is it takes experience. It's it's really hard for me to explain. It just takes experience. Sometimes you know, hey, I need to spend more time here. Sometimes you just I don't know. You feel like you need to leave. Like you just go with that gut feeling and it takes years to get that, I guess is how I, how I feel about it. What, what time of year do you feel like you can key in on a repeatable buck movement? 
Like, like it, you know, we talked about in the Patreon group, obviously the rut changes everything. Uh, but what are those factors you're looking at to find deer movement? And what time of day do you tend to find the most deer movement? If we're just talking deer, I would say probably 8, 8.30. I'm usually seeing most of my deer movement. And that's going to be, it's either young bucks or your does are up and moving around. And then you'll have usually a kind of a dead period around, say, after about 9.30. There's usually a little bit of a dead period. And then you start getting into that 11 o'clock, 11.30. And then I start seeing movement again. And it won't be as, at that time, I'm usually seeing mature bucks for the most part. I mean, there'll be does kind of moving around, but that's when I start seeing my bucks primarily is between probably 1130 and two o'clock uh that would after that like in the afternoon then it would go around anywhere for i mean the afternoons are kind of hit or miss it depends on how they're feeling but it could be three o'clock to right there at dark overall like they'll kind of move whenever in the afternoon if they feel comfortable what do you think drives their movement because we, because because on on a previous podcast we talked about deer movement and when the thermals start to shift throughout the day and we we speculated about why sometimes we'll find deer out in the middle of a cutover in the middle of the day and and I'm curious if you have any any are there any environmental factors what do you th- or is there no logic at all it's just they're on a pattern I think that they're feeding like your does they're primarily driven by a food source. Like they're going out to try to get nutrients and then they're going to want to go back to their bedding area. Um, I almost, I'll just add this in there. I hate seeing deer on the way to the woods. If I'm seeing deer on the way to the woods, then by the time that I get there and I get set up and then it gets daylight and everything, then they're already back in their bedding area. Probably, you know, for the most part. Um, you might catch an outlier here or there, but for the most of the deer movement, like you're seeing them either popping back out of their bed and area and they're getting up to, to feed during that eight, eight thirty kind of time frame. And it almost never feels like that 10 o'clock kind of time frame. It, it just kind of is always a dead period. So even if I need to move, I will use that area that, that time, like nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock to make little shifts if I need to. And that's, you know, put, put my registry book on the wall is by making those little shifts like that. But in the middle of the day, I think what is happening is your does have already gone back to bed and then your bucks are coming in there and they're just covering ground. And if a doe is going in, say she's crossing from a food source over into a bedding area and she's going in east to west, your buck is going to want to come in north to south and cruise that usually there's going to be a transition line there and he's going to cruise that transition line and he can actually check multiple trails just by walking perpendicular to that to their trails so he's able to go in he can wind check it and he can ground check those trails on the way in to see if there's a hot doe he's trying to breed you know whenever you're in the rut and he's trying to keep up with those does and i I, they kind of give the listeners an idea. It's, it's like that old joke where they talk about the two bulls are up on the hill 
and the you know you'll watch the the young bull he'll run down there to get all the cows and then you got the old bull he's like we'll walk in there and we'll get them all you know and i think the same thing with deer like you see the young bucks they'll run into a bedding area and they'll push does out and the does will kind of you know panic and you'll see them running out and stuff but when you watch the mature deer go in there they just kind of walk and cruise and they go in there with a purpose, but they don't wait, make really a lot of wasted movements. They know how to move from bedding area to bedding area and check it without risking themselves very much. And uh, they're going to stay to that tight cover and they're going to use it so that they can utilize it with the least amount of energy because it is really exhausting for them to go and try to breathe. Especially, I think, when we're talking about Florida, because you're, you know, how things are that there's pockets of deer. So, a pocket of deer might be a half a mile from another pocket of deer, and he's got to cruise in and through, you know, out through that, that area to try to see all of those does. He's trying to catch them, whatever does coming in at that time. Is that, that's my main theory on it. And it seems to pan out for me quite often. Brad, I'm curious your thoughts. You, I remember you and Splitshot had a really good back and forth on this. Um, I'm just sorry to mess up whatever you just asked me, but I've been going through some pictures I've had and noticed like early season, all these uh, buck movement, which is like most of them are mature bucks like three and a half or older first thing in the morning going back to bed and in the afternoon pretty much coming out of bedding areas and you scroll a few months ahead and get the pre-rut time and all the bucks are on camera between 10 and one o'clock inside the bedding areas and on the transition just for a whole month there I just got tons of pictures that I've saved from last year. I've been scrolling through while y'all been talking. I saw you on your phone and I wondered what you were, what you were looking at. So what I'm hearing you say is early season, real clear pattern back to bed or coming from the bed. I think it's feed, you know, just that standard feeding pattern. And then, and then by pre-rut time, you're starting to see a 10 to two. Do you still see them in the morning and the evening or just that 10 to two window? Yeah, I still see them morning. And still see them sometimes coming back in mm-hmm. and still see them every once in a while in the afternoon, like right at that dusk, you know, maybe 30 minutes before uh, legal shooting lights up. But the bulk, like if you took all the morning pictures and all the afternoon pictures and put them together, they wouldn't equal the midday pictures, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm. It'd be like a, It'd be like one third. If you took all the morning and all the afternoon, combine them, they're only a third of what I'm getting midday during pre-rut and rut. And this is in the same areas, right? Yeah, this is in the same probably thousand acres. In the same areas from the early season towards late season. Now, just for clarification, are you talking about Florida or are you talking about back in Bama? Or both? Uh, Bama. Bama. Okay. I I, I don't necessarily know that that is like the cut and dry correlation between why something happens, but I'm always interested to hear like 
the patterns that you see in Alabama versus what we see down here. So let me let me ask you this, split shot. Do you feel like you're in a betting area? Because what what I'm hearing you both say is something very similar to each other. But you mentioned the word transition line split shot. And I know Brett almost exclusively hunts the travel corridors within or right on the edges of a bedding area. Do you feel like you're hunting just a transition line adjacent to a larger swath of bedding, or do you feel like you're kind of targeting a bedding area? I'm usually hitting hitting bedding areas like a, right on the transition line of that bedding area. If I can get in there, if I can get into it, then I, I want to be in it if I can, if I can get in clean. Um, and clean, I mean, get in there without being, you know, detected by the deer. Um, but what happens here in Florida is our bedding areas are just so thick that even if you were to get into most of them, you wouldn't be able to shoot. You're, you're, I've seen them bucks come out of swamps and you, as a person, would not be able to walk in there without crawling over stuff. And deer will get in there and I don't know how they even go through it. But uh, that's usually why I'm sitting on the edge of it is just so that I can't shoot. Or if you can catch like a funnel, a lot of people think of funnels is say like two ponds or you're thinking maybe a saddle if you're talking about, you know, terrain features, but we don't have those. And I'm using funnels like thickets. If there's a, say like there's an hourglass shape to a bedding area and like one side you've got really good, like a swamp head. And then the other side's got a swamp head. And then there's a thin like line of oak trees in the middle of it that you can see to shoot through that, that thin line, or even just catch them on the edge of it. Like if he'll, if he just makes a mistake and be five yards towards you, that might give you enough to be able to get that shot off, but he's moving back and forth. And that hourglass, if you're able to think of it like that, or if there's a, you know, a point that runs off from a, you know, uh, one swamp in, into a cutover, you sit in that point and try to be somewhere where you can shoot to either side because he might come to either side. And that's the strategy I'm trying to use just because I can't get into the bedding area. I know in other places um, you may not have that much trouble getting into it. And if you're in a swamp, like in a cypress swamp, you might be able to get in there right on top of them. So yeah, let's, split let's, very similar uh, hunting and transition lines of the bedding area, you know, or if you can, you know, a lot of times like, I can't get in the bedding area either. You kind of have to know the area and know what the deer are doing. Sometimes you just have to set up. But like he's saying, you got that on the hourglass, you got a transition line right there plus a funnel all coming together. So let's in those would, areas and you got a little more trees a little open spot. I would say what Brett and I hunt are pretty similar. Um like I kind of hit different habitats, but what I've seen Brett hunting is a lot of timber land um with like swamps and stuff in it. And that's that would transition over to quite a bit of what we're hunting here in Florida as well. So let's put a pause on this because I want to dig into this a little bit, but we got a little bit of housekeeping we got to do. I should have done it at the very beginning, but we're going to, we're going to pause this on a cliffhanger because I feel like we're about to pull the nugget out of this. That's really useful. Um, first off, one of the benefits that you get by signing up to be a part of Patreon, you heard it in the intro to the podcast, uh, is you get a shout out on the show and we have got a list of more people we got to say thank you to. Uh, I'm going to rattle off four more this week because we're still trying to play catch up. Will Jones, Chase Darty, Kyle Matt, Matvidge, 
and Brian Zantop. Dang, Brian's way behind. Dude, he's been there for a hot second, and uh, I guess I guess it didn't do him before. So sorry, BZ. <laughs> uh, just want to say thanks again to those guys. Uh, we've got a deer camp this year, Patreon deer camp that we're going to be hosting. And if you want to be a part of that, we have a wait list. Uh, very soon, uh, we expect probably there's always a little bit of turnover right there at the right before the hunt where things get get canceled uh kids birthday parties start to intrude on the hunt things like that and so uh we've created a wait list on patreon so if you want to get on that wait list go find that post and drop your name just say hey i want to be added to the wait list and we'll do our best to make sure we can accommodate you uh along those lines we got to say thanks to another brand joiner die knives these things are wicked so in the past you've heard testimonies from matt and parker Brett and I got our rim fires. Isn't that what this is called? I think it's the rim fire. God, yeah, what a terrible yeah. plug. <laughs> yeah, it's the rim fire because it's got the 22 in there. I just got super, uh, uh, super paranoid there that I was messing it up in the middle of the, <laughs> of the middle of the sales pitch. But I got to say, guys, the, the rim fire field mates was called. Uh, it's got a 22 mag casing built into both sides of the sheath. Uh, Brett got his the other day. I got mine and I'm able to shave my cheeks with this thing. I've got big jolly Santa cheeks and I've been able to shave them, uh, live on polo, uh, which I don't know if that's a selling feature or not for polo, but, uh, it is what it is at this point. And this thing is wicked. It is literally <sighs> Brett. Like how long do you think my hand is? I got small man in hands. I mean, that's like yeah. what, six, seven inches max. It's about six inches. Yeah. So she said, and so the rim fire in the sheath completely fits uh, in the length of my hand. It's going into my kill kit. Brett, what are your thoughts on this knife, dude? I mean, it's near about the perfect size. It's super easy and like super packable. Like yeah. you can put this in your pack. It's not going to take any room. If you don't have a pack, maybe a saddle. It's got, it comes with this leather sheet for it. And it's got this awesome clip on the side of it. Yep. So you could like, clip it on somewhere uh you can wear it on your jeans or whatever and i think it's gonna be the perfect size for cleaning deer this year can't wait to uh clean one out in the woods with it if i'm being honest with you this feels like the kind of knife that you'd see split shot walking through the woods with on his hip like the size the like the the character and everything to it like a good old florida florida boy this just feels like something split shot or two taught have on their hips so, From the look of it, that thing's pretty awesome. It uh looks like it fits your hand really well, and it's mm -hmm. the perfect size. Like Brett was saying, if you have to quarter a deer out or something, it really looks like it'd be perfect for that. Yeah, yeah, and and I gotta say this, like I know these things are not inexpensive, and we got a promo code to help with that. Soco Hunt gets you ten percent off your order. These are not inexpensive knives. These are not the kind of knives that you're not going to want to clean and take care of, and 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 put put the oils on them that you need to. I tried to find something wrong with this because I feel like if you're paying a premium for something, you should get a premium product, whether it's a tethered saddle, uh, one sticks. If you're paying a premium, you should get something, right? And at $175, it should not only be remarkably sharp and stay sharp for a long time, but it should be perfect. There's nothing. Brett, is there a single flaw in your knife anywhere? A scratch? N nothing at all. I mean, not, it, even, it, not even on the sheathing. No. And it, this sheathing, so I keep catching myself like smelling it because it's just real leather. Yeah, yeah. You know what it reminds me of? Those old Sunday school shoes that that we used to wear. <laughs> Maybe you guys didn't wear them, but those real <laughs> thick 
Sunday school shoes that would hurt your feet, but you pull them out the box and they smell so daggum good. So uh, check them out. Join or die knives. Use the promo code SOCO hunt to get 10% off. These are family heirlooms that you're going to use abuse. They're going to take the abuse with a little bit of maintenance and your kids, kids, kids will probably end up using this knife. Um, so I just want to say thanks to those two brands. Cause well, thanks to the patrons and thanks to join or die. So split shot. I feel like you just touched on something that the Southern hunter really needs to hone in on. And I don't think I've ever really thought about it. And, and maybe I'm ashamed to say this honestly, right? I don't think I have ever thought about the idea. We talk all about the time about deer hunting in the South. Well, where are they bedding? You can't hunt their bed, hunt the bedding area. You just said something remarkably simple that I can guarantee you at least one or two people, if not more went, holy crap, that makes a lot of sense. You are saying, here's 20 acres of bedding. I'm confident this is 20 acres of bedding. And you're finding a pinch point inside that bedding and then, and then hunting on that. Yeah, if you can find a pinch point coming out of it or moving into another area, um, definitely if there's going to be sign there. He's going to lead lead you to that spot. Um, and that's how I know where to hunt. Whenever I go in and scout, I like to do a lot of uh, pre-scouting or postseason scouting. You could even do this in the summertime, but it's better to do it postseason when the leaves are off the trees because then you can really see the vegetation. But I'm walking in, I'm looking at old rubs um, or scrapes. And if I see one here or there, like that's not a telltale sign to me. That's just saying like he's moving through here and there's a buck in this area. And then I just start following it back. You can almost always follow it back into something that's going to have more vegetation. And if it's got more vegetation in the wintertime, then uh, you're going to be able to see that visually um, as you walk woods and you'll start seeing a concentration of sun and once you start to see that concentration of sun or it's right next to some thick woods that's somewhere that that deer can hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain your feet are carrying the load without the right boots you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge at midway usa we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier with just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. 
If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, he's taking a, he's taking a peek at that UF score right now. Yeah. <laughs> he paused on my end. He did. Yeah, he's paused over here too. We're waiting on him. He'll be back in just a second. Yeah, I, th- I think what he's saying is uh, a lot of times what I see too in those like betting tickets, kind of what yeah. I'm going, you know, kind of calling it. A lot of times you'll find a lot of trails coming out, but when you find that trail. Uh, or you find a rub line that leads to that transition and continues in it. A lot of times that is the trail that the bucks are typically coming in and coming in and out of. And a lot of what he's describing, the hourglass and, and the funnel, where you went scouting the other day, that swamp that's got yeah. little points on both sides, it mm-hmm. makes like a figure eight or hourglass. And, and you can look on a map and, you hit the nail on the head and went in there and found the big trail where they were crossing that swamp in there. Yep. Yeah. And, and that makes a lot of sense because if, if we're going to acknowledge that they have these big areas, then if it's a big area, then we can apply small philosophies to that. Right. Just like you're looking at 500,000 acres of national forest, you can go and say, okay, well, here's a transition line and it kills all that negative space where there may or may not be deer. And it creates that funnel. Well, if you can further take that and say, Hey, here's 80 acres. And within that 80 acres, here's the point in which I think they're most likely to be. There he is. He's back with us. Um, Split shot, you'll be glad to know that uh, Brett segued and talked about some of the scouting that uh, I've been doing that that kind of I didn't realize it, but I was doing a lot of what you're talking about um, now that I'm consciously going to be doing it. I'm hoping that means I kill deer this year. But um, split shot, you kind of left that off with you were trying to find areas within that bedding area that kind of pinch. Yeah, so there's just a uh, once you get a feel for where they want to be at you kind of know as you walk into it. So they like areas that they can kind of still feel <laughs> Yeah, you really, you do. Like, it's just something that you pick up over time, but they, and I'm sure Brett will agree is they like areas they can still kind of see, but it's so like, it's still thick. It's got like, usually like grasses or flag ponds, like around the edge of a flag pond. If there's some grass or something they can lay in and still get some, some breeze or something. Um, they really like places like that, or, uh, I don't know if there's, you ever see that grass in the swamp and it'll be about hip high. They like to lay down and stuff like mm-hmm. that. They really love mm-hmm. places like that where they can see out from it and still feel secure that they're hidden. And, uh, when you find the sign around a place like that, then that's where you need to be really looking and start trying to find a tree. And if you can find like where you have a little outlet that they're coming out of, that's where you need to be. And then sometimes it'll be like, you'll be walking in there and say you're coming into cabbage palm thicket. There'll be little pockets in those cabbage palms. If you can bust through and find, you know, one of those little pockets, like you'll have a little pond or something. Uh, Just find somewhere in there that you can hunt. Like you need to be where the deer are at and as close as you can possibly get to it. And uh, that's just going to increase your odds. Yeah, I mean, going along with uh, 
when we were talking earlier about getting into veterinary those places, that's the type of places that I'm looking for as soon as season's out. And like you're saying, you got this thick bedding area, just say it's 50 yards or not 50 yards, but 50 acres or just whatever. If you'll, act, if you'll go into that thicket and just walk around or find deer trails and follow, a lot of times you'll find an opening within the side of that bedding that you, that could possibly allow you to hunt if you can find that and then figure out an access route to get in there where you're not crossing other deer trails and thinking about the the dominant wind in the area brett that kind of sounds like what i found this morning i'm sorry split shot go ahead buddy i was just going to add to the scouting if you're scouting in the off season like right as the season comes out especially in florida you have up until about may um to where in may like we start getting rains typically june like you're getting rains but in May, you can still see scrapes on the ground. You can still see the licking branches are tore up. You still see the sun. The foliage getting on the trees is heavy. Um, but if you get all your scouting done and look for those pockets and you can walk in areas that you can't walk in during August or July. So it's a big advantage to get in there right after season. And I, I really like going in there and small game hunting if I can do it. And uh, use that as a scouting tool and just have a good time and go look for squirrels or rabbits or whatever I can kick up. That's that's really smart. And I I, I got this pert near worthless uh, Boykin Spaniel here laying next to me. She uh, she can't take a gun blast. She's gun shy as hell. And I'm trying to work her out of it. But I've been hunting with a pellet gun as of a lot lately, trying just to burn some of her energy and take her out there. Uh, and so that whole small game thing i think is something i'm gonna start doing this year to kind of go in those areas because even into march you know even if you just walk the woods in march it's still plenty cool around here um and so you're not killing yourself but nothing's really bounced back yet either no matter how warm a a, a fall we've had you know the area you talked about brett about the opening this morning i went on a really quick scouting trip just a little punch punch into some of these smaller areas that are easier to get to sometimes often overlooked areas and there's this pine thicket and um I think I talked to you on the phone after I, after I left that place, but the entire pine thicket's super thick. I mean, you can't see, you can't see 40 yards in any direction. Most places, maybe 20 otherwise. And and I'm walking my way out and I start to see a couple tall pine trees. I'm like, huh? And there's this little subtle rise. Just, just, I'm talking like six to 12 inches higher than everything else. And there's gopher tortoises in there and there's those laurel oaks and there's some pine trees and it opens up and the deer signs everywhere. Clearly that is like a marker. That little hub is a marker for all the different trails that came through there. It was the highest concentration of sign I saw. So I think that's kind of what you guys are talking about. I stumbled on that this morning. I didn't even realize it. If you can get into a spot, just like you're talking about, I can actually think, think you killed a buck here with close to one of the spots that i'm thinking of uh, there was like a briar thicket and there are some really tall ponds and pat and i were in there walking uh, and it was i mean it was like hell trying to walk through there but there was definitely pockets that you could get in if you could get through them briars and you mm -hmm. bust out into a trail like on a ridge and that elevation will actually change the habitat just a little bit. Maybe the briars don't grow good enough there or something, but the deer know that. So they'll use those to walk around. And if you can get in there and they don't think people are there, and like you said, get up that 
pine tree 40 foot and where you can see down in there and they think they're still covered up oh man they don't have they, they, they never see it coming whenever mm-hmm. you go to shoot them with the rifle <laughs> so how so we're talking about these dense bedding areas right how do you guys assess and approach accessing these bedding areas because let's say you got 40 acres and they could be anywhere in that 40 acres and you've got this pinch. How do you guys go about making sure that you're approaching it the right way? Lots of flag and tape. <laughs> That's right. uh, for me, for me. With um, your name and date and how many of you are going to be in there written on each piece. <laughs> I put extra people on mine. Always. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's going to be all the work I put in in the off season to figure this out. I'm going to figure it out beforehand and uh, already have trees picked out, access routes picked out, and maybe multiple spots where I feel like I can get on deer. And then I let the wind determine where I go. I always pretty much let the wind or the conditions. It could be could be what time of the year it is. Is it early season? Is it pre-rut? My hunting rut? Was it a full moon all night? Uh, when's the moon underfoot overhead? Is it a full moon during the day? Is it, you know, just, I don't know. It's complicated, I guess. <laughs> but I pretty much figure it out during the off season and basically let the wind determine which stand I'm going to sit at. For the most part. So so let's say you have a, a, a square piece of public, right? A square a square block, 40 acres by 40 acres or 30 acres by 30 acres. However you want to draw that up, small piece. And the yeah. spot you want to hunt smack dab in the middle of that thing. What are you okay. doing? Because because when you, you talk about these these blocks where there could be, you know, a chunk of the downwind of it. I'm getting right. downwind of it and walking straight to it. But you'll go to the middle of that block still. You won't hunt the perimeter. Hunt your it way just, in. It just depends. Gotcha. I mean, it depends like on what to, time of the year it is. And if I have a spot right there in the middle. What I like to do is I'll find my tree. And like Brett's saying, you'll have a couple of different trees if it, if the area sets up that way. But I'll walk in in the off season. And then you, obviously you have your track on the way in on your say you're using spartan forage or onyx or whatever you know kind of after using i will drop a new track on the way out and use it on the way back to you know whatever road i'm accessing off of Mm. and then i'll just go straight to the road like say there's a two track i'll just go straight to the access trail the way that i think i need to go in that way i can follow my phone in and then i take a picture on uh i know spartan forge you can take a picture and then load the tree up on the on on your app so whenever you you click on your waypoint you can pull that tree up and then see if it's the same tree even if it's in the dark and then that way you're not having to leave flag and tape out for somebody else to find or um you're not really marking your spot for anybody else uh Sometimes Walt's going to probably kill me for this, but I'll keep little reflectors. If it's going to be something like I'll clip them on, like just on my tree um, to help me out through certain areas. Cause sometimes you can get into areas that are a little difficult in the dark. And if you can just kind of have those reflectors just for that area, 
mm-hmm. then that'll help you get through, say, a creek crossing or something that you come into. Yeah, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be super clear on this one. I have no problem with 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 bright eyes and flagging tape. What I have what I have a problem with is four four hundred yards of 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 a blind man being able to find his way in there of, of them jokers because I've done that myself. I've got uh at a WMA up in Georgia that I killed my buck on. I've got I've got two bright eyes hung about thirty feet up in the tree. Uh, they're kind of angled down in a branch to where it's not going to catch your eye. But if you're walking up in there, you can kind of bring your thing. Oh, there's my, there's my, my tree, right? I don't have any problem with that. Um, because it's discreet and it's subtle and it's, it's out of the way. Go ahead, Brett. I see your hands up. Um, I feel like something somewhat needs to be clarified this way. Like, oh, here we go. Let's go. We're talking, we're talking about these bedding areas. And when you're talking about that, you're talking about being aggressive. And what I will say is, I'm not hunting these spots until the time is right. You don't go in and blow these spots out. You let everybody else start hunting. When they pressure the deer, they're pushing them into these thicker areas, and you wait till that rut time. Or I like to put long soap cameras and find out what two, three-week span all the deer, you know, the majority of buck activity is moving through that area and how they're moving through it. And then the next year, I will use that as in the time I'm going to go in there and hunt them. So, like, you talking about going in the middle of bedding area. I'm only going to do that in that window, that three-week window or so. I'm not just going to randomly go in there. I'm going to go in there when the time's right. And other than that, I'm staying out. I'm yeah, hunting you don't- that edge out there. Yeah, you don't want to go where we were talking last time about going in and hunting, say, like early season. I don't want to spend September hunting, uh, you know, a spot that I think is going to work out really well for the rut and uh, blow it out. You know, you're pushing maybe that doe group out or something. You're putting pressure on them. They're changing their patterns. Whenever you go in, like you're catching the cool front or whatever it is when you think deer are going to be moving. And those are when you go into your, you know, your bedding area or something that you think is a really good spot. You choose the time. Like you want to be there in the rut or the pre-rut and you want to catch the, I like to wait for a front. I look really big on 10 to 15 degree temperature drops. If I can catch something like that, that's when I'm going in there to my really high quality spots. I'm not just blowing them out and hunting them, you know, in September just because I can go hunt now, you know. Why not? Sure. Do, do, you, do you feel like you if you went in there on opening day, you'd ruin it for the rest of the season? I don't think that I would ruin it for the rest of the season. I just think if you know, like you've got a money spot, you need to go there in there on money days. And if, you, if you're hunting it, say you go in there and hunt it four days in a row, like they're going to start catching. If you walk through there once in a while, like the deer is going to be like, well, this is an outlier. This isn't something, maybe this guy, um, just a hiker that got lost or something. I don't know if they think that, but <laughs> they're going to smell people every once in a while. It's going to happen. But when you go in there several times in a, you know, a couple weeks span, well, now he, you got his wheels turning. Like he knows something wrong. I mean, like, you know, coyotes go through that area. Like we're, you know, obviously we're the alpha predator probably on their list. Um, but I, I just, I'm, I'm curious, you know, one of the things you don't see in the deep South, you know, deep South, 
Mississippi, Georgia, like mid to low Georgia, low country, South Carolina, Florida. That's what I'm thinking, right? Low country. Um, <clears throat> you don't see people killing mature bucks early season. Very, very rarely. And when it happens, like everybody knows about it. My curiosity is kind of around the idea of if you guys have these money areas where you know that they're good, why not throw a haymaker early season? Like, you know, if four sits in a row is too much, but you got the right wind open in day. Why not throw a haymaker and go in there? Because you said you're catching them during daylight hours in the morning still. I'm not running cameras like Brett is. Oh, okay. um, so that's why I don't go in there. I I, I want to hit them. I, I, my strategy is to kind of bounce around. I'm going to, if I've got, you know, a half a dozen really good spots, I'm just going to bounce around and utilize them. And if I feel like I need to throw an extra sit two days in a row, it's not a problem. But if I got to hunt it three days in a row, I'm probably not in the right area. It is kind of how I feel. And I know Brett's is more based on his camera data that he's built up. Well, I mean, the pictures you're talking about early season, like I've seen them right in the morning or afternoon coming out. You know, like I previously said, if you added all that up, it doesn't even come close to the midday movement pictures I get during the rut. So it's basically a crapshoot. I mean, you may have a picture once uh, a week and just they're just they're not like consistent. If one was consistent, yeah, for sure. I'm going in there, you know, if you know the conditions being like the wind and stuff like that will allow me to get in there where I feel like I have a chance. Well, I got you. Them deer like that are going in the bed areas and they just hanging out in there till right at dark. See, I think in the south stuff so thick, it's just a lot harder. And and, in my mind, I was thinking that you were still getting them in the morning and the evening consistently. And so if you were getting them in the morning and evening consistently, but you were saying that midday period was more than those two tail ends. But now I understand you're, yeah, I got you. Um, okay. Well then that makes more sense. And I look like a, like a, a dingus. Cause clearly that was a dumb question. <laughs> I'm okay. Playing that role. Um, you know, it's, it's funny to me because, um, I don't know that I've ever been able to identify consistently a bedding area. Um, I would say that I know areas that, you know, I know thickets that probably are bedding area specific. I would say that if I had to categorize my type of hunting, um, it's more transition areas around areas I suspect to be bedding, but not that I get any kind of consistent buck photos, even during the rut. I would say it's kind of, uh, I'm hunting transition lines between areas that have feed trees. I'm a feed tree transition line kind of guy. Um, and so that, you know, what I've heard you guys say, I hear a lot of opportunities for, and especially that video Brett put out there. I mean, he getting unconventional and getting in some of these areas, there's not a chance in hell you could, you could hang a tree there, right? You could, you just couldn't do it. It's, it's ground. If you got off, if you got off the ground, you wouldn't be able to see it straight. Right. And so, and so when you stand up, you can't see very far. But if you get down on deer's level, you can actually see maybe 25, 30 yards. Right. And so I think I, I look at this now and I'm thinking, 
maybe between what we talked about today and that video that Brett put out, maybe that's got me, that's going to equip me with some of the tools to go into some of these areas and, and find that. Like that mock scrape I made today, Brett, that mock scrape uh, on that little plateau underneath those feed trees. And that was all bedding cover in there. I would have categorized it all as bed as bedding cover. Um, giving me a lot to think about, boys. You give me a hell of a lot to think about. Go ahead. Something that I want to say too is, don't I don't want the listeners to get the idea that I wouldn't even say Brett's going in there and hunting like an individual deer. Like they're not staying mm. in these bedding areas just hardcore. Like this is where he goes back to sleep and he doesn't go anywhere else. Um, he's moving bedding area to bedding area and you might have three bucks come in in a morning. Like it's not uncommon to get into one of those funnels or something on the edge of a bedding area and see several bucks moving back and forth um, around there. If you got a hot doe in that area, you might have, you know, I've seen as much as six bucks come in throughout the day and smelling along that trail. So don't get hung up on the idea. Like I found his bedding area. This is his bedroom in the South. And he's not going to be anywhere else. Yeah, split shots exactly right because I can get a bug in one bedding area, and then I can get him later on uh, that night or the next morning, or sometimes even twelve hours later, a thousand or on the other side of a thousand acres in a different bedding area. So, I mean, when you get in them bedding areas, you're, I had this great line I was going to say, and I can't think of it, but basically you're just putting the, the odds in your favor is that the bucks are going to be cruising in and out of them. They're going to pick different areas. I have one buck that I would really like to kill. And I found him when he was in velvet, he was hanging in one area, but after he shed his velvet, he moved about half a mile away into another spot that was better for like acorns and secluded, uh, like feed trees and stuff. He moved into that area for about a month, maybe a week or two, maybe five or six weeks. And then he shifted again to another area for just a little while. Then he went back to where he was in all summer at. So I guess what you're saying is if you are selectively shooting a deer or if you're targeting a specific deer, it's because you're selectively not shooting the other deer that walk out. Not because you know, this deer is using that, this specific trail kind of thing to a specific bed, kind of like in the Midwest, when you hear people like, Oh, I found his bed and I went in there and I, and I set up on the trail coming out to this feed tree and I shot him. It's not like that for you, for, for you, Brett, what you're saying is this is a high opportunity area in a buck bedding area where multiple deer can be. And much like in your video, when you passed one of those deer, that was the selectiveness. It wasn't necessarily that you expected only that buck to come down that trail. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, basically for me, I, I'm just after like a three and a half year old or older. It's mm -hmm. kind of just what I'm trying to do personally. And I know most of the deer in the area. So I kind of knew what I, you know, which deer I want and which ones I want. And I never know which one's going to pop out. It's just, 
if one of them comes out or it could be deer I've never seen because that's happened. I've had deer on camera. I'm like, I've never seen this deer. I've seen them one time, never seen them again. So, but yeah, I'm finding travel. I've been finding travel corridors in between all them bed too, over just putting year history together. So I'm hunting the trails and the travel corridors or where they're going from each bedding area, you know, depending on the wind. So I got a good idea where they're uh, entering and exiting them bedding areas as well. You know, it's it's interesting to me. I wonder if I've been hunting adjacent food feed tree adjacent. Um, I'm listening to you guys talk and I'm just like, I think what most people do, they have like a Rolodex memories. They just kind of sort through as they, no one knows what Rolodex is. They've got a list of stories that they're, they're running through their head and, and just kind of comparing things. And, uh, I've gotten a lot of mature daylight. Let's not say mature. I've gotten a lot of racked buck daylight movement around feed trees. But when I go back and I think about those areas and what was there, it was dense. Uh, it was dense, thick areas that you couldn't have seen very far if you were on the ground and then an opening with a feed tree. And so I'd be willing to bet if I went back and, and I drew, I took the mapping tools and I drew, I could find that bedding area and I could find where I was basically hunting a transition line, an exit route right adjacent to to a feed tree. And it kind of makes me wonder if those areas wouldn't be good for the rut. And I've never really hunted them because the food source is gone, but maybe that's still a good entry and exit point kind of on that edge like you guys were talking about. It's really about the habitat cover. Um, like I said, the more that you're around them and you're bumping deer and you start to mm-hmm. see them, you learn what kind of habitat they want to be in. Like what kind of, come on, Walt, use one of your smart words because you know what I'm talking about. What yeah. kind of foliage that's yeah. going to be there. And when you get, I really like to be in thick briars that are still mm-hmm. kind of open or when you're in a cutover, you'll have that kind of like sage grass growing up. Mm-hmm. And if that sage grass is thick, like they can move around in it, but they feel safe in it. And you can still see them in it, especially if you can get up higher than they are. So you get an advantage. And that's the same thing. That buck that I killed in Georgia last year, that 10 point, it was I was way up in a pine tree so that I could see down into the thicket, into the briar thicket. Whenever I saw all those bucks come by and then when I saw the hot doe come by, I moved into the briar thicket so that I could be closer to get a shot because I was sitting on the outside. Um, And when I moved in, that's what gave me the chance to be able to shoot that, you know, buck when he come in the midday. Um, So it's more about the foliage and kind of how it is. They want it open enough to move through, but thick enough that they feel secure. And that there's not going to be somebody in there. I think I think the way I would describe it, if I had to vastly generalize the habitat that I find in, around here that Brett has shown me, and he's it, Brett has drastically changed my purview of what is thick cover. Um, it's like second year, generally speaking, it's like that second year post burn type of habitat where you kind of feel like even if you went 10 feet into it and kind of crouched down, you'd kind of disappear. But at the same time, if you really were paying attention, you could kind of pick out 10 to 15 feet at a time. Um, I was, I was scouting with a fellow this past week who, or yesterday, who is going to be doing a lot of filming for me this year. And he go, and he said something to me, I've never heard said before. Um, so in this way, but he said, you know, you hear people on podcast saying, well, you need to find 
the the thickest possible area because we were going through this area and it's just like dense thick. I'm talking like thick, thick, like not just move through it thick, but just thick. And I wanted to get to the other side to see what was over there. And he, and he, we're talking and he says, you know, people say find the thickest cover you can and that's where the bucks are going to be. And he goes, damn it. I feel like some places in the south, they have no idea just how thick that gets. And it's almost a deterrent, just like it would be an open space. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking dang, he's probably right. Like he's probably right in the big hardwoods. The thickest place you can find probably doesn't hold a candle to like that, that storm damage stuff that you and I were hunting split shot down up in Georgia, you know, like that's freaking thick. That's like cut over just gone wild thick. And will a deer use it? Absolutely. Is it going to be anything that he really wants to use if something else is nearby? Um, That's why I said that generalized. It's like second year burn that just hasn't been touched where everything where you've got like either cu- cu- canopy cover where he, f- he doesn't have to worry about something seeing him from above, or he's got that secluded cover where if it's coming to me, I'm going to hear it and I can leave, but I also can kind of see where I'm going. Yeah. Like a palmetto thicket. I've seen them lay up mm-hmm. in like a small palmetto thicket. So anything that tries to come in there, like it's going to make noise and he knows and he can just flip out the back. I've seen yeah. them use stuff like that. Um, like I said, the briars, flag ponds are really good because they can sit up next with their back against the water and then look out into like an opening to be able to see if anything's coming in there to them. Mm-hmm. It's those kind of areas that they like to hang out. And it's not always the the thickest and nastiest thing that, that you've ever seen. Not to say they won't go in there because I've definitely seen them go into places like that, but they're not huntable at that point when he's in that area like he's just not huntable but if you can catch him in one of those kind of like transition areas like now he's huntable i can kill him in in a area that's kind of open and but he still feels secure in yeah a unique spot that i found to what i would consider bedding areas hey brett start over you cut off that first travel route I, I found a unique place that's kind of in between two bedding areas is a travel route, how the, the bucks were using to kind of get over there. And what I found, it really pops postseason when the vegetation's down because you can really see that higher stem count, but the leaves are off. So you can tell what's thicker, you know, through the wind versus during the summer because it kind of looks thick in the summer. And what clued me off to is I started, I found some sheds and I started looking for the next shed and I found the next shed down this trail and I kind of like backtracked it, walked it, looked at my map and ended up following it. And it was, it went through this cutover and it was the thickest part of the cutover that connected the two bedding areas. They stayed in it and I found several places where people had climbed trees and I marked all them on my map. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, 
Check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And we lost him. There he is. He's back. Oh. He just cut <laughs> off and just popped me right back on. Yeah. He pulled a, a split shot there. I'm having all kinds of issues today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I left off or what y'all last heard, but. You were talking about seeing the trees that other people were climbing. Oh, yeah. So I like when I find uh, other people sign, I like to mark it on my maps. And that trail avoided every single spot that I seen someone climb. And it stayed in the if, – if you could picture a, a square cutover and there's a bend there on either side of it, there's – was a thicker line that run through there from one bed near to the next. And the, them deer stayed in the thickest part. And there's one spot in there that they crossed through a small opening. And that is the spot, the ambush spot. And it, it worked out perfect for being able to access to it. And there's four different trails that kind of come together from them little thick crossings all in that one spot. And that's the spot that I'm have a camera on in the spot that I have planned out to hunt because that's where I can actually kill him at. I don't want to get off into the thickest spot where I can't necessarily kill him unless that's what it that's all I have. But being there's an opening, there's a weakness in in their route between the bedding areas, that's what I'm finding postseason, picking out trees and access. Finding stuff that works for me where I can ambush them at. Brett, do you, in an area like that, do you see that there's an elevation change, even if it's a little bit? Because I would say a lot of times for me, that's, there's a, if even if it's a foot or two, there's some kind of a little minute elevation change that'll change that habitat really quick. And then it seems like there's always a little spot right there. So, there's not a there's not necessarily like a like a higher spot like typically you would see in in Florida per se which when we talk about a high spot in Florida it may be twelve you know twelve inches but there's actually a little a little depression type ditch that runs through this area and it's got a lot more growth a lot more saplings and little random pines and stuff like that. And they're using that thicker because that ditch kind of runs all the way across and they're just somewhat running that basically. Now that you're giving me to give away my secrets. <laughs> I was just going to say, you almost always find some kind of little change right there. Yeah. And it's just enough for the, like he was saying, it might grow a little bit more. You might have just a little bit higher stem count right there, or it may be just a little less stem count to give you an advantage, like in say you're hunting on like a ridge or like Brett was talking about here, just a little ditch line and they'll hug that, you know, terrain feature or whatever it is, or that stem count. 
and they'll stay right in next to it if they can. Yep. And, and the does doesn't they don't they will use it, but they'll walk any of those trails through that cut over. But where I'm finding the bucks are sticking to the cover. Like if you think about hunting mature deer, uh, I would tell you the number one thing is gonna be security cover. That's what I find with all of them, whether it's right by the road or five miles deep. I think too that that elevation, just if, even if it's a little bit, say like where you're, you're dropping off into that higher stem count, it's also dropping those thermals down into that area too. Like you've got a little bit of a scent advantage for them to be able to run. They're staying in that thicket, and then they're getting the scent advantage to be able to smell around them as well. So I think that's why another reason why they hang to areas like that. Cause I, that's what I look for when I'm looking for a tree to set up in. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, I don't know how well that works during the day. Cause that place is somewhat open. So I feel like, you know, once the sun got up good, your thermal should be pulling pretty good. But that morning and evening, I could definitely see that for sure. What you think, Walt? I'm just thinking. Taking notes. I'm just thinking. I'm thinking back to a lot of different spots. I'm thinking back to to some different areas that I've predominantly just overlooked. I think largely because it was easier to not apply these ideas than it was to just adhere to the idea. I need to find a tree to climb. Like, I really feel like there's like some of these areas that we're talking about are areas that, um, a need long soak cameras, like you're talking about, like to confirm these areas that I've got in my mind are, are the areas that I need to be in. Um, and I can think of some really good ones. In fact, split shot where you killed your buck up in Georgia, there's a really nice thicket just Northwest of there that, um, could very much be exactly what we're talking about right now. Um, well, that, that's the whole reason I sat in that spot because it kind of came down to a Y right. and their transition line. And I knew just by walking in there real fast, I knew there was a thicket on both sides of me. And you could tell just by the stem count. So I just sat in an opening to where the Y kind of came together. So I had an advantage to both thicket. And just waiting for the deer to come out on either side to hug that transition line. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say that buck too. When he came out, the doe just, she came just out and my brother was saying she didn't care. She was just getting away from him. But he, he reacted totally different. He stayed right up next to the transition line by the thicket. And then he hung out and walked and he would, he was looking out into that opening before he ever came out. And when he did, like I was able to get a shot, but I had to hold my bow back probably 30 seconds before he came. He felt comfortable coming out, out of the higher stem count to where I could get a shot. on. So even though he was chasing, he still stopped and looked because he knew he was about it. Because he knew he was leaving what security cover hitting the opening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was looking, but he really wanted what just come through there. So. You know, typically he may not have, you know, if that doe hadn't run through there, he might have skirted around the edge of that opening. That yeah, was a fine I, buck, by the way. Yeah, it was decent. Good 60, I got, 70 I got to see it. I got to see it when he pulled back up to camp with it. Yeah, that's I don't think we're wild. talking about the same deer. 
No, this is the same one. When were you at camp? Uh, this was that hunt that we were talking about earlier. Because hmm. I, I, once I hit, quit hit record. The one you told him, the one you told him not to go to. Yeah, but there was no. We weren't having a hunt camp then. We had like a mini camp. Oh, that oh, was when, yeah. when Brett went. That's when. That's when Brett went up there. Was up with Richard, right? Yeah, Tutal came up. Yeah, the Minnesota yeah, 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 yeah. And Chicken Buck. Join the Patreon time. group. You get to hang out with cool guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm dropping pins right now because I'm like, get to hang this. out with some killers like Split Shot and Chicken Buck and JR, the, the, the dog hunting man. The dog hunting fiend, the houndsman himself. That's right. Um, all right, boys. So let's put a pin in this because I feel like I'm just going to take us down a couple a couple rabbit holes. And I think we've given people a lot of thoughts. Do y'all have any closing closing ideas or, or bits you want to share before we, we, we wrap this up? Just really get in the woods. Like we said last time, just get in the woods. And the more that you're out there, the more that you're walking in there and you're bumping deer and just kind of take notes where you're seeing deer at, where they want to be at. Um, if you get to see a buck and you can't shoot him, you just watch how he's moving. Uh, mature deer just act different than other deer and they want to be in that cover, uh, and feel secure. So just get out there in the woods and try to stay in, in, to in areas where you're having encounters with deer, the more that you're doing that, the more that you're learning and the better hunter that you'll be over time. And you will get that feeling like, Hey, this is a really good spot. Yeah. And I would say deer in the rut, if you know the, the area you're hunting and you know, when the rut is hunt midday, even if, even if you uh, sleep in and don't get out there till like nine o'clock, Go in at nine o'clock and hunt the rest of the day, or at least through the middle of the day. Well, boys, we're gonna stick a pin in this here. Uh, I appreciate you guys carving time out your day. We got a little housekeeping to tend to here on the backside of things, but uh, if you guys want to support a couple other brands that support us, uh, go check out Tether Nation, the best saddle system on the market. Um, I believe that uh, I've got uh, two, three, four, five, seven. Seven pieces of gear over here. I'm trying to figure out which one I'm going to use for opening day. Uh, I'm definitely taking the fast pack. I can tell you that much. Um, oh, and before you guys leave, after I hit in, you guys got to see this little thing I'm working on because I think you're both going to really love it. I wanted to share this with you earlier, but uh, check out tethernation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. And if you're in the market for a new bow, go check out Bowtech. Well, Brett and I have our bows on the way. Uh, Parker and Matt have been using them for a year and a half now and I absolutely love them. So with all that being said, we appreciate you guys tuning in for another roundtable discussion. We're going to have some uh, more, let's say, targeted discussion points with a focused narrative uh, the next couple of weeks that I hope you guys are going to enjoy. Uh, but until next time, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Four in the morning, Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Bird.
birds up in the sky. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.